Welcome to the Friday Night Talk with Inner Space Covent Garden. Our talk tonight is Embracing Sadness, Choosing Happiness. I, it's a question that I find interesting. Can we truly be as happy as we choose? So we've invited our speaker tonight to share insights on how to embrace um, sadness as well as choose happiness. Um, why choose happiness? Very simply, when we can choose happiness, we can choose to be happier. We can choose to be more resilient, productive. Um, we can also then, our choices are those that support health and relationships, our own health, other people's, but our relationships as well. Our speaker tonight is Pratiba, Pratiba Daya. Pratiba has worked as a system analyst and is currently based in Johannesburg, South Africa. She currently um, coordinates activities for the Brahma Kumaris in South Africa. And if you had joined us earlier, you're here. It's now uh, right across the African continent that she's supporting groups of people. She facilitates um, sessions in the, for corporate staff, rural communities, and trainers on topics that range from mindfulness, empowerment, to Ubuntu. Pratiba is going to share with us till 10 past seven, our time, and then she'll do a short meditation. Following that, all the questions that you send through, she'll be answering those questions when I put them to her on your behalf. Pratiba, over to you. Thank you. Thank you, Artie. And uh, it's a real pleasure uh, to be with all of you this evening. Um, I'd like us just to start off with just a moment of just centering ourselves. Um, you may have had to rush through traffic or whatever the case may have been, but just to bring us all back into the space and just connect. So I invite you to just take in a deep breath and breathe out slowly. And just with each breath, I want you to just allow your body to relax. And for the next little while, just to Release yourself from any to-do lists or the thoughts of your day and just to create this kind of an internal space inside of openness, of being light, of just being quiet, almost like a clean canvas that's waiting to have something beautiful put onto it. So just give yourself the space to be very present and relax and just feel your own internal center of peace. Okay, thank you. So this evening, um, 
It's really wonderful to be with all of you. And um, when Arti asked me to talk on this topic, I thought, you know, um, it always happens that something that you've been pondering on, um, you know, becomes the, the topic for you to express with others because our own internal process is so important in whatever we do. Happiness is something that we, we all, I think in consciously or unconsciously are always wanting to achieve whatever we do, um, whether it is um, our studies, our jobs, our holidays, our um, families, time with them, whatever it is, our hobbies, it's always to experience a deep sense of joy. That, that is what motivates us um, in a deeper way. And, um, and I, I'd like to begin with, with just one kind of a awareness that I hold. And, and that is that um, I, I feel and I truly work with this awareness that uh, happiness is our natural state of being. And, and that could sometimes feel a bit strange. Um, I mean, living in a country like South Africa and whatever we've been through, uh, how can I say happiness is a natural state of being? But I do feel that our starting point is a state of happiness. And, and we somehow uh, lose it. And, and so I'm going to go a little bit this evening in terms of how we lose it and, and, um, and begin to look at certain practices and certain um, attitudes that can help us restore that internal state of happiness. And why do I say that happiness is a natural state of being? And, and I think for me, it's really been the example of just looking at a child and remembering my own childhood. You know, when you're a kid, I mean, you don't wait for something to happen before you're happy. Um, you go into the garden, you see a butterfly and you get excited about it. You see a bird and there's just a sense of wonder. Um, I know how fascinated I was by, by the beetles that would be crawling around in the garden as well. And, and it was just like, there was this kind of a curiosity. Um, and, and in little things, uh, it, would, it would lead to a feeling of joy. Um, and so somehow for me, the way I began to define happiness um, is, is I, I look at happiness as firstly a sense of curiosity about life and an enthusiasm to learn constantly. Um, I think these two things are very important to feel that bubble inside, you know, uh, that I'm, I'm curious about things. I'm curious about myself, uh, the workings of my own mind, the workings of my own feelings. I'm curious about human behavior and, and what moves people and what inspires people. And, and so that keeps me very open to learn and open to seek out, to understand. And I think that's what keeps this kind of internal enthusiasm going, which in some ways I feel is that bubble of happiness inside. I also feel happiness for me means that 
I am not stuck inside. I, I'm feeling I'm learning and I'm growing. Uh, there's like an internal movement and there's newness that's happening. It's, it's not just routine, um, but that, that kind of uh, a wellness inside because I feel a movement internally. And, um, and then at a little deeper level, uh, for me, happiness is feeling secure, um, that I feel safe and, um, and I feel comfortable in who I am. Uh, that's, that's also another way in which I define happiness. And ultimately for me, happiness is really being totally content inside, um, that I'm not chasing after, but I'm, I'm coming from a place of fullness and I'm responding from a place of fullness and abundance. So, so that's how I define happiness and, and looking at these different facets that helps me to feel full, content, curious and enthusiastic and the kind of internal learning and movement. So the question that I asked myself is that, how did I lose that? that kind of an internal bubble, what took it away um, at a time when I felt that I, I was really feeling down? Um, and, and when I really reflected on it, I saw that, you know, what we tend to do as we growing up from that carefree, light, abundant child um, that felt completely safe and loved by everyone, what happened? What, what took away that internal bubble? And I, and I realized that um, as, as we grow up, we begin to um, relegate our happiness to events. Um, and, and for example, um, you know, as a child, you know, it's, it's your birthday. So now you must be happy, you know? So we think I can only be happy when it's my birthday or let's go for a holiday, then we're gonna be happy. So we sort of um, make the reason and qualify our happiness to situations or to people, to events, um, sometimes to things, um, you know, I got my, my latest iPhone or I got my latest car or, I got that cardigan that I just loved. It was, you know, the right thing for winter that I wanted, whatever, little or big things. But somehow we started thinking and believing that our happiness was dependent on something outside of us, uh, whether it's an event, uh, whether it's something, or whether it's a position or a role, if I get that, promotion, if I, you know, uh, move into that position, then I will be happy. Um, and we also started depending on people to make us happy. Um, you know, that people need to affirm me, people need to praise me, people need to um, show love and care towards me, only then can I be happy. So what I feel is we we started thinking of ourselves and what qualifies us for happiness to things outside of us. And we started to invest in things outside of us to make us feel happy. And um, sometimes it worked, <laughs> but many times things outside of us 
um, is never constant. And things outside of us um, are always subjected to, to change. And more so, we have very little control over things outside of us. Um, you know, I could plan the perfect holiday, but I can't plan the weather. <laughs> or many of us experience, I could have planned the perfect holiday and then COVID came along and lockdowns happened. So there are so many elements that are outside my control. And as long as I invest my happiness on things outside of me, uh, because I have little control over, over these things, and they're always subjected to change, it led to me beginning to feel disappointed and frustrated and sometimes a feeling of fear, what's gonna happen next? Um, when I feel I'm losing control, then it does lead to feelings of fear and anxiety, nervousness. Um, and that's what I feel are the different facets of sadness. Uh, you know, we, it, it starts off as disappointment and as we, you know, as it stays on inside, it grows into sadness. It starts off as frustration and that frustration then grows into sadness. So, so for me, that, that sad, heavy feeling inside is because of these emotions that got triggered as a result of me um, investing and depending on things outside of me to make me feel happy. So having this understanding and awareness now, um, I started looking at that, okay, now, um, why is it that I haven't been able to immediately clear out this feeling? And how do I grow out of this feeling? And so I started looking at, and I, I, I look at sadness as a, a emotional uh, form of pain. So I'm going to use the example of pain and how we deal with pain. And I started exploring and examining my own attitudes towards pain. Now, just think of pain in, in a physical way, and maybe that can help you see it in terms of pain in an emotional way. Um, when we feel pain, how, how do we deal with it? And, and I think when we feel a slight pain, uh, many times we just ignore it. We wish it away, oh, it will go away. It's just this little thing and it will go away. We don't always address it. And so the same thing, that little bit of disappointment I'm feeling or that little bit of frustration I'm feeling, I consider it normal and I ignore it. Um, so, so that's how we tend to deal with it until it becomes something that we can't really ignore. And then a second coping mechanism that I saw is that many times when we're feeling that pain, what do we do? We try to distract ourselves from it. We try to avoid it. And, um, and I think today there's so many ways in which we can distract ourselves. Um, what do we do? You know, we, we try to um, 
you know, get involved in our gadgets, look at YouTube videos or uh, play a game or things like that where we, it takes us away from actually seeing it and dealing with it and just avoiding it, distracting it. You know, um, it was interesting, but one of the stats showed that during lockdown, um, one of the areas where people spent a lot of time was watching cooking demos <laughs> and, and seeing recipes being created. It's almost like we needed to um, get away from what we were feeling. And so we were feasting our eyes uh, to sort of avoid the, the, maybe the emptiness that we were feeling inside or, or the fear that we were feeling inside. So we tend to avoid things by distracting ourselves. Um, when that doesn't even work, then what we tend to do, we try to numb it. And, you know, we often find that that's how we, our addictions begin. Because addiction is really just trying to numb the pain. Physically, we pop pills. Um, but, you know, emotional pain as well, we can end up, you know, taking things to try and numb that feeling of, of the pain that we're feeling inside. Um, and, and finally, what else we tend to do instead of dealing with the pain and beginning to work through it so that embracing it, you know, just accepting it, it's there and, and how do I work with it? Um, we tend to project it. Uh, it's because of the other, it's because of the situation. So, you know, as much as I depended on situations and the other to create my happiness, so it's inevitable that when I'm not feeling happy, I project the reason to the other as well. Um, and so all of these things sort of takes away the... Um, the accountability for what I'm feeling inside and how I've uh, you know, created the state of being inside. So um, I just find that to really um, look at it in this way that any form of pain or discomfort that I'm feeling, it's very important to to, to embrace it and to, to see it for what it is in a way, because I find that what it is doing is that it's um, offering me um, a signal, a signal that I need some kind of adjustment. Uh, you know, when physically we're experiencing pain, um, for example, a lot of us are in front of devices and laptops and things like that. And, and who doesn't end up with stiff neck or stiff shoulders or lower back problems and all of these things. But all of that is just telling me that I've been in one position for too long. I need to create adjustments. I need to create balance. I need to stretch different muscles um, so that when I do that, then I can alleviate pain. So pain is giving me a signal. It's, it's telling me something. And so I find that as I begin to become aware that my sadness is an accumulation of some form of imbalance. And, and instead of, um, of fighting it, uh, instead of uh, rejecting it, 
it's really about embracing it. Um, I find that why it's important for us to know that there's certain attitudes around pain that, that we need to look at it. And sometimes what happens to us is that we think that pain, instead of looking at it as a messenger to tell me I need some kind of adjustment, we sometimes look at it as failure. I failed, you know, or I'm weak, or um, I tend to see it as that I'm bad. That's why I'm feeling like that. And these are certain very deep beliefs that, that result in us uh, reacting to pain in a way whereby we either try to ignore it or we avoid it or we try to numb it because there's an underlining belief there of thinking I'm weak, I'm, um, I failed, or I'm bad in a way. So I found that it was very important that in order for me to embrace my sadness, it's just to recognize that it doesn't mean that because I'm feeling sad, I failed. It doesn't mean that I'm weak. It doesn't mean that I'm bad. Um, but it just means that I have misplaced um, my energy. I have misplaced my understanding. I have a misunderstanding somewhere that I need to um, rectify, that I need to clear, that I need to undo. And, and in many ways, I feel our journey is really, you know, subconsciously we didn't realize this but we have actually uh, developed certain beliefs and certain patterns and certain attitudes inside of us that that results in the way we feel right now so it's about recognizing these and finding a healthier way of responding finding a healthier way of engaging and most importantly finding a healthier way of embracing myself. Because I think a lot of our beliefs, uh, you know, are related to how we think of ourselves and how we tend to understand ourselves and how we tend to um, accept ourselves. So this, this aspect of sadness is just letting me look at it that what underlining belief or idea or attitude towards myself that I need to relook at and, and, and shift. So I'm going to just share this evening a few sort of uh, tools that I use um, to help me uh, to, to always return to a state of internal well-being. Um, I find that sometimes uh, you know, the old patterns to trigger <laughs> and you feel that that sort of a heaviness or a shadow come over. But I find that just becoming more self-aware, I can recognize it quickly and then I can begin to apply certain tools that will help me to, to, to shift out of that because it is about taking accountability from my mental state and my emotional state and um, not blaming myself for where I find myself, but really beginning to see that there's some misplaced beliefs or ideas or attitudes 
that I need to begin to, to shift and change out of. So I have a few sort of what I um, would like to share as um, what I call steps, steps in helping me to have a, a more healthier perspective on myself. So let me just get it to play. Okay. Uh, so steps to reclaim my natural state of happiness. And um, as I said, the first step for me had been to acknowledge what I am feeling. And um, I find that that's very important. Um, it's actually sometimes to name it makes it more tangible to work with it. Um, and so what I, you know, always do is I, I acknowledge to myself um, that the way I'm feeling now, is it an accumulation of frustration? Or the way I'm feeling now, is it because I'm disappointed? Or the way I'm feeling now, is it because I'm afraid? Um, and it's almost like, you know, sometimes when we feel sad, it, it, it's like it takes over us. But when you step back and just acknowledge it and naming it, it sort of brings it back into perspective. And, and that perspective then, um, you know, it makes it more tangible and workable and, and doesn't take over. And I think that's the key thing. So I acknowledge what I'm feeling. And when I acknowledge what I'm feeling, I like naming it, what it is that I am feeling. And, and, and when I can recognize what I'm feeling, then I observe my mental self-talk. I, I begin to examine and see what has been going on inside. What is it that has been mulling around in my mind? And what is it that I've been thinking and saying to myself, whether about myself, whether about the situation, whether about whichever individual, etc. And I found that as I begin to observe myself in that way, I can begin to recognize a misplaced belief or a misplaced attitude um, or misunderstanding that I may have or just a, a negative pattern that I may have had. So it helps me to recognize that and, and see it through. And, and then that gives me the option then to change my self-talk. And, um, and I think this is a very important element and that's where I find my practice of meditation very useful because there's always a trigger and then there's the response that I have to give to this trigger. Um, but between the trigger and the moment of response, there is a little gap. <laughs> and, and I call that the gap of, um, you know, choice in a way. So when I observe myself and recognize the belief that is dominating me, I have an opportunity in that moment of uh, gap that I have before I react to that trigger is to say, do I want to continue with this pattern? 
do I want to continue with this belief? Do I want to continue with this mindset or attitude? And, and so it's like knowing that these attitudes or beliefs that feeds my thinking is what results in my feeling. My, my feeling is as a result of what I'm creating internally. My feeling is not because of what is happening around me. My feeling is really as a result of what I'm thinking and how I'm thinking about what is happening around me. So that's where I find that just acknowledging what I'm feeling then makes me more accountable for what I'm creating inside of me that is my internal self-talk. And then that gives me the option to change it. And I put there the second thing, hold the self with compassion. Because I find that um, unless we, you know, accept that um, it's not my fault that I've developed this attitude, it's just part of my journey that I've accumulated this. Um, and just to, you know, we can end up being very critical with ourselves and that doesn't allow us to grow. So I find that when I just allow myself to, to just be kinder to myself and, and hold myself with compassion, it almost uh, gives me the, the capacity then to actually uh, to change. Otherwise, there's a resistance to change when I'm very critical to myself. Um, we don't change by beating ourselves into a different way of be being. It, it's love that moves us into a different way of being. So therefore I find uh, that um, this thing of observing my internal self-talk and redirecting my self-talk, um, I have to do it with an attitude of self-compassion. Then the second thing I wanted to share with you is um, just to cultivate uh, certain practices that will help me feel more internally secure. And um, one thing that I find that is very key is, you know, we, we feel insecure because inside we're feeling empty. And um, it, it is up to us to find ways, um, practices um, that can help us to feel internally more safe and, and more full in a way. And, and that internal fullness and um, security then enables me to be just much more resilient to the external. And um, what it does for me as well is that I, my, my dependency on things outside of me to make me feel better begins to reduce. Um, and so I don't internally react then uh, as much to what's happening around me. Um, a classic example I will give you on my recent trip to Kenya and we went through Rwanda. And uh, there was a flight delay when we left Johannesburg. When we reached Kigali, there was another delay. And so a journey that would take about maximum six hours took 24 hours. Now, 
you know, there's two ways you can react to this. You can get frustrated, angry, whatever. Or the other way is just to say, okay, you know, um, this is something outside of my control, but internally, where do I want to be? Internally, what am I going to do? Um, and so can I make the most of that moment? And I can only make the most of that moment when inside I feel I have that capacity inside to just be at peace, just to enjoy what that moment has to offer, to be creative in how I'm going to use my time, uh, whatever the case may have been. So that's why, what are the practices that are gonna help me to build that more deeply inside? For me, there are two things that I use. One is journaling. And I find journaling as uh, I, you know, try and do it almost every evening. And what I find when I do journaling, it just helps me to refocus. Uh, I, it gives me an, a, a safe and a very uh, productive way of giving expression to the things that I have internally um, stored as a result of my day and, and the experiences of my day and the impressions created during my day. And as I begin to journal, it's like I'm releasing all of those impressions and I'm cleaning out um, and I'm clearing out. So um, I, I find that through my journaling, I just write and, and as I write, it shifts my attitude and perspectives around things so that before I go to bed, I like to feel light. Uh, I like to feel... I can make peace with my day. I can release my day. Uh, there's nothing that's holding me onto it. Uh, particularly no emotion of my day that I want to hold onto. So I find for me journaling is a process of just releasing and clearing and, and becoming light again. And then the second thing that I um, do is I meditate. And uh, for me, meditation is really spending quality time with myself, really going internally and investing in the experiences that I want to cultivate internally. So instead of investing in things inside of me, I begin to use meditation as a tool to invest in experiences internally, to feel calm, to feel peaceful, to feel content, um, to feel a sense of connectedness, uh, to feel love. Um, so I use meditation to center my mind on these internal states of being. And I use meditation as well as a way of connecting with the source. So that through that connection with the source, with the divine source, I begin to open myself to these experiences that allows me to feel love, to feel at peace, um, to feel a sense of internal abundance, not needing, not wanting, but just to feel um, I'm, I'm connected and um, I'm secure in my relationship with the divine. Um, and I feel that through that connection, 
whatever I need, I'm able to draw to myself. So, so these two personal practices I find are very important and, and it's a way of, of sustaining myself continuously. Um, and the third thing that I would like to share on, and I find that, um, you know, um, it's so important to invest in certain attitudes that can, um, that can support us. Um, attitudes that can, can shift gear for ourselves um, that we may have um, uh, misplaced our awareness on and, and our energy on. Uh, so the first one, choose being kind rather than being right. And uh, why this is one particular attitude that I find very important. When I looked at my own journey, and when I honestly looked at it, <laughs> I realized that what really takes away my happiness is um, dealing with people that sometimes are very fixed in their ideas um, and dealing with people that I perceive as being um, unfair or being aggressive or being, um, you know, um, difficult in whatever way I mean difficult to be. And so often the energy went into trying to change the other and, and try to uh, inspire the other to shift gear. And uh, that was always such a draining experience. And for me, the realization has been that um, a lot of the times what became sort of the stumbling block for me was I always had this attitude in my mind, I am right and they are wrong. And it's my ego. Um, and no matter how I tried to color that, <laughs> it was still my ego. And, um, and so I started working with this thing is that even if I'm right, that's fine. But um, the moment doesn't ask of me to try and prove my rightness. Uh, it's rather more helpful for myself and for the other and the situation that I rather respond from a place of kindness. So how can I be kinder in this moment? And um, what I found that sometimes that in my choosing to be kind, my rightness showed itself up. I didn't have to show my rightness up. Um, and so it was like changing focus um, because uh, we can justify our attitudes, but you know, you know, how can they, and, and that can always come up, but it doesn't, it, you know, um, even if I prove my rightness in that moment, I may feel a sense of achievement, but it's very short-lived. It, it's not really coming from inside. I feel sometimes our ego puts so much of emphasis in proving ourselves right that we lose our humanity. And that just depletes us spiritually. 
So uh, just choosing to be kind rather than being right. And the rightness would show itself out. You know, I don't have to try and prove the rightness of a situation, but just to focus on being kind. Then the second attitude, which I found very important, and that is choosing peace over anger. And, uh, you know, it's like a false belief we have that if we use anger, people will listen to us. Uh, if we use anger, we'll get things done. Um, but my, my observation has been that when I use anger, uh, anger only isolates me even further. No one really listens to me when I'm angry. They pretend to listen to me. But once my back is turned, it's back to square one. But I, people avoid and uh, will distance themselves from me. And that, will, that isolation that I feel will just further entrench the feeling of frustration, entrench the feeling of sadness ultimately. So uh, just to consciously, when I feel that anger coming to the fore, um, just to, um, to take time to shift that energy into peace inside of me. And, and that's again where I find that I take moments in my day where I just stop and just return back to my meditation practice of reminding myself that, you know, uh, let me reconnect with that internal natural resource that I have of peace. Um, because I work with the premise very much that as much as um, I find um, happiness is a natural state of being, peace is also a natural state of being for me. So I return to that natural state. And then the third attitude that I wanted to share with you is that, you know, the ego, it teaches us to be very critical and to see weakness um, and to focus on what's wrong. But I find that the more I focus on what's right, <laughs> what's good, focus on the virtue, it enhances it in my own heart. And when I see virtue, I see growth. And that in a sense, uh, I see beauty. And that in its sense naturally results in me feeling um, moving into a deeper state of happiness. So, so I find these three um, attitudes are very useful uh, to keep in my awareness, uh, which it naturally brings me to that state of happiness. So a lot more to share and, and explore, but um, I think this was the key things that I wanted to take up this evening in the time that we have together. And uh, yeah, um, to, to maybe just offer some time now to, for questions, possibly. Oh, um, someone asked me to go to the first slide. Um, oh, yes. Pratiba, would you do the meditation first? Yeah, sure. I'll do a meditation quickly. So this is the first slide for the person who wanted this. And uh, yeah, let's go into a, a short meditation. And um, I invite you again just to take a moment to 
Center yourself, breathing deeply. Return your awareness to your inner being. And just hold this one thought. My deeper natural state of being is peace. That I am a being, a consciousness of peace. And give yourself this moment to really tap into that energy, that quality of peace within you. Reconnect with that internal sense of calm and stillness. And when I return to that space of peace within me, I feel anchored, anchored in, in a deeper power within me, anchored in the essence of my qualities, my being. And that internal stillness helps me feel very secure. And stable. I can observe the world from this position with clarity, with a sense of internal abundance and with peace. And when I return to this inner space within me, I feel a natural connection with the divine source, that highest source of love, of truth. I feel a resonance with that energy, a sense of belonging, which leads to and enhances my feeling of being secure, of being safe, of being whole internally, of being at peace.
So hold this feeling and rest your awareness on this feeling. Thank you, Shanti. Thank you very much. Um, the questions are coming in slowly today. I think you've done such a good job. The people are quite satisfied. But there is one question that's coming. And the person saying, they have a very short temper and they love the idea of peace, choosing peace rather than anger. But do you have any advice for somebody who really has a very short fuse and <laughs> how they can bring peace in? Right. Yeah, I think it's something that we all um, tend to struggle with at some point or the other. Um, the first thing that I find is recognize what your trigger is. Um, because when I recognize my trigger, then I can almost like prepare myself um, beforehand. And what I find is that to create a particular practice for yourself, so I take moments in my day where I just pause and just return to this feeling of internal calm. Very much what I shared with you now in the short meditation, just you know, gathering my energy and going back to my center. Because the more that I create this as a practice um, more often, it becomes something that I find I can access more and more easily within me. So that when I am faced with a situation, I know that if this is a difficult situation or this is where my triggers get all, you know, um, uh, pressed upon, then I prepare myself to almost come back into that state of calm before I engage with that situation. Or when I recognize that, you know, my temper is now rising, I immediately can draw on that feeling of peace that I have accumulated on the basis of my practice. So it's not I practice in the moment, but I have to practice, you know, um, at other times in my day. So I accumulate the energy that I can draw from in that moment. So I find that that's important. Taking moments in my day to pause and build that state of internal uh, peace within. Mm. Thank you. Um, somebody's asking, could you please share the first slide again? <laughs> okay, sure. Thank you. Now, let me, while the person's having a look at that, let me put the next question to you. I've heard in a lot of talks about dealing with emotions, the practice of sitting with the emotion and letting it pass through you. What does that actually mean and how does one do that? Mm. Um, I think the way I've worked with it for myself is that um, when I'm feeling something, as I said, um, don't, uh, don't get into thinking about it too much. Just hold that feeling that you are having and, and, you know, don't try to defend it, justify it, 
or, or try to block it off or try to resolve it or anything like that. It's just sit with it and just, you know, be with it. Uh, don't fight it, don't reject it, uh, don't defend it, just sit with it. And what happens is, you know, emotion doesn't last all the time. Um, it, it has an expiry date and it's very short. <laughs> so when I sit with it in that way and I just observe what I'm feeling, then what I find that with, after a few moments, it dissolves. And, and, so, and, and so then it, 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 I release that emotion from myself. And that then brings clarity for me in my mind to say, okay, now let me watch my mental thinking patterns and begin to make sure that I focus my thinking in a way that supports me now and doesn't take me back into that emotional spin. So that's how I work with it uh, in terms of holding the emotion and letting it pass through. Thank you. Um, they're now asking, another person's asking, could you please show the second slide? And while you <laughs> do that, <laughs> I can yeah. ask you the next question after that. Yeah. So um, the next question is very interesting. How do you overcome sadness you can have through regrets of feelings that you have underachieved in life? Where your expectations of what your thoughts where your expectations of what you thought you were capable of um, to find happiness in life have not been reached. Yeah, um, I think in a way, it's what I've been sharing about that, you know, recognizing that my happiness is not, um, it's not based on my external achievements. You know, just to know that my journey in life is offering opportunity and um, uh, where I perceived a certain way of being and living and doing that I thought equates to happiness. And if it hasn't happened according to that, it just means that life is offering me a different way of really recognizing what real happiness is and what real sense of satisfaction is. So instead of looking at it as a disappointment of not achieving enough, look at it as what was the learning and what is it offering me in terms of my growth? Because even what seems as a not a good experience often makes us grow in incredible ways that we wouldn't have grown otherwise. You know, the kind of depth it brings to our being. Let me explore that and see that. So take the focus away from the external achievement and begin to explore your internal achievements because they have been, you're just not seeing them. And it's a question of beginning to, to recognize and acknowledge the growth that has happened internally. Thank you. Um, the next person saying, an excellent talk. Thank you. I would love to embrace choosing kindness over being right. This is something I have struggled with, and I have compromised some close relationships as a result. 
What strategies would you suggest for finding the right balance? Mm. Um, I'm not an expert on this one, <laughs> so I'm going to share my learnings on it because, you know, um, sometimes we get very um, fixated, I would say, in certain, in certain things that we feel are very important. Um, for me, uh, you know, fairness and justice has been my trigger point. So uh, when I felt that I would see something that's not fair or just, um, you know, I would come out very strongly. And, and of course I felt I was right, but I just found that it doesn't resolve things. And so what I find and, and what I'm finding is, is a way is firstly, uh, to make sure that when I'm expressing myself, I'm not expressing myself um, in, a condemning, con in a condemning someone, uh, but I'm expressing myself with kindness in what I need to express. Because I do feel it's important to, to, to say things that I feel are important to say, uh, not to suppress, but the way I'm doing it and to watch my attitude that I'm not bringing the other down, but that I'm, I'm mindful that I'm doing it in a way that affirms and, and, and creates a, a, a feeling of, uh, of love uh, and acceptance of the other. The other thing that I also feel, and it's what I was sharing is that um, instead of trying to prove my rightness, let me just work with being kind in that moment. Because what I find is that my rightness will reveal itself over time. And, and it's like a mantra that I have created for myself. And that is that um, everything at the right time will show itself. So sometimes we're trying to push a particular way or trying to push a particular thought or a particular uh, 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 action that we want, that it needs to happen. But I, I've also learned to just say that um, I express, but if it doesn't happen, let go, give it time, give it space, and it will emerge at its own right time. And it's a deep belief that the right things will happen at the right time. So that's the way I've worked with it. I do express, but I'm mindful how I express. And number two, I don't push for it. I rather wait for it to, to emerge the way it needs to emerge, yeah. I'm gonna request that you close your slides. Is that possible? Then we can see you fully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would sure. be Thank you. Nice to have you back full, full screen. <laughs> um, sure. A, the very next question is, how can you be happy when you are lonely? Mm. I think here again, it, 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 you know, it's, it's this belief that I need other people to make me happy. And uh, what I find is that um, just be more creative with yourself. You know, um, I find doing things that creates beauty, um, generally creates a feeling of internal fulfillment. So whether it's different forms of art that I engage in, um, that makes me, you know, uh, feel that I'm, I'm, I'm creating something 
And, and that expression of my creati creativity is what gives that feeling of internal fullness. I also find what is good is, um, you know, um, things like gardening or, or working with my hands many times also connects me with nature. It connects me with something that's natural. And that in itself also uh, stimulates uh, something inside of me um, um, that is, you know, a, a natural resource inside of me. So I find that even pottering around with pot plants or, uh, you know, I've been experimenting with, you know, planting different things in the garden this year because we've had such good rainfall and just watching all of that grow and, and investing in my energy in that um, gives it a, a kind of fulfillment. You know, to see growth around you always will give you fulfillment. Um, so you don't feel then lonely, but you are extending and expressing your energy in a very constructive way. And I think that's also what gives a sense of fulfillment. So, so find something that will help you to give positive expression of, of yourself. And that then gives that fulfillment, yeah. Lovely. Um, and the final question is, I find that family members trigger um, and trigger me and deplete me even before I'm with them. And often I feel uh, the triggers still being hit or feel depleted after I've left them. Um, do you have any suggestions? Mm. Well, our family, our greatest karmic uh, reactions that we have <laughs> often. Um, and I, I find that, you know, what is useful is, I think a practice that I had very early on in my journey as a meditator, because one of the things that we teach is really, firstly, recognizing myself as a consciousness, as a soul, and the practice of seeing the other as a soul, as consciousness. And, and I found that this practice of just really seeing the other as an individual on their own journey, doing what they think is right, doing the, the, the way they think they need to do things um, according to their uh, understanding, um, helps to create uh, a certain level of detachment from the other. We only get triggered because we identify with the other. You know, you are my so-and-so, you are my mother, or you are my, my sibling or my cousin or whatever the case may be. When I identify with the other, um, it's like my, my own identity is tied to the identity, to the behavior of the other. And so that's why their behavior triggers me a lot. But when I begin to see the other just as an individual on their own journey, and that I'm an individual and, and this relation we have is, is a relation of, of finding ourselves together so we can learn from each other and we can share with each other, but I don't make you a part of my identity. And as long as I don't make you a part of my identity, I can remain detached then. And I, and I find it helps me not to get triggered. 
So I find that that practice is very, very important, you know, to connect and be with people, but don't make people a part of your identity. See them as individuals on their own journey and keep your own sense of being of who you are as an individual as well. Thank you. Well, people have been saying thank you very much for your time. It's been an excellent thought. This is wonderful. Um, they found it very helpful. So thank you very much. And I'm going to say thank you, Pratiba, because I love this attitude that you underlined for us, choosing to be kind rather than right. And I know that it's something that I love, but I occasionally forget. So it's nice to have it underlined for myself. Um, so many, many thanks from my heart, definitely. Tiba, thank you for making that time this evening with us. Thank you. Thank you, Artie, and it has been an absolute pleasure to share with all of you and be with all of you.